Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Is Mike Schreiner going to leave the Greens? Hamilton's transit system may soon be free for more people. We hear from a Simcoe woman who needs a kidney transplant. The YWCA Hamilton showcases some amazing women. Good news if you're looking for a job. And it sounds like Honda Civic drivers should ease up on the gas pedal. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Man, politics is an interesting game. It's extremely rare for a politician to cross the floor. It is very, very, very rare for the leader of a political party to cross the floor. But that just might happen in this province. There's some members of the Ontario Liberal Party that have written a letter, and a bunch of them have signed it, and urging a key political figure in this province to cross party lines. The letter starts with, Dear Mike Schreiner, We are a group of Ontario Liberals who are deeply concerned about the state of politics in Ontario, and more broadly about the future of our province and our country. Ontarians are demanding something better. That's why we are taking this unprecedented step to reach outside our ranks to urge you, the leader of another party, to join the Ontario Liberals and run for our party's leadership. Our party needs to rediscover a politics of purpose and principle. Wow! Right? Dr. Kate Graham is a former Ontario Liberal Party leadership candidate and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Graham, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me. How long have you and others uh, in the Liberal Party who signed this letter, how long have you been thinking about this move? (laughs) Uh, I would say the starting point actually was an article that uh, TVO's Steve Pakin wrote. He wrote it last fall. And he said, hear me out, Mike Schreiner should run for the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. And I remember reading it for the first time thinking, what a ridiculous uh, idea that is. Uh, But it started a huge number of conversation. I felt like every time I ran into somebody in the party, it was like, well, did he read that article? And what do you think? What would that look like? What could that be? And over a couple of months, I I mean, the, the possibility of you know, finding opportunities to uh, grow the movement, appeal beyond the base, really focus on issues that I think Ontarians uh, are are desperate for provincial leadership on right now. All of those things led to a group of us uh, deciding to push what were a million quiet, whispery conversations way out into the public realm. So on uh, on Saturday or on Sunday, sorry, we released a letter uh, out in the open where we said to Mike formally, you know, we are Ontario Liberals and we would welcome your entrance into the race. There are fabulous people uh, considering running and we think it would be a stronger race uh, with you in it. So we released that and, uh, you know, part of it's often called a draft campaign where you're urging somebody to think about running. Part of it is about getting people talking and hearing how would they react to this idea. So it's not just you know, these quiet, whispery conversations, but much more of a public of a public conversation. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen right now. Why do this publicly as opposed to behind closed doors is a matter of a strategic decision to get that public groundswell to say, hey, this is probably a good idea. Exactly. This is definitely an unprecedented thing. Like it's, you know, there are examples of people who move between parties, but they are rare. And uh, certainly asking someone who's currently leading a different political party is an unusual move. And it's one of those things that I think it's extremely important to hear from people about uh, liberals, greens, 
Uh, and also people who, you know, the vast majority of people who do not formally identify with any political party and clearly didn't feel inspired by the array of options. You know, we had the lowest turnout election last year in Ontario with a larger mandate delivered for the current provincial government. And now when we see things like privatizing healthcare and dismantling the green belt, like I, I just fundamentally don't think those are things most Ontarians want. So to me, you know, as somebody who ran as a candidate and sort of heard that disengagement at the door over and over again, I think it is a time for us to really think big about if the current landscape and the current arrangements aren't working for us, what will? So for me, that's that can't be a private behind closed doors conversation. It has to be a big, messy out in the public here, anybody and everybody who's got an opinion on this. So that was a, a big part of the motivation for doing this in such an unusually public way. We're talking about the potential of Green Party leader Mike Schreiner crossing the floor and running for the leadership of the Ontario Liberals here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Kate Graham, one of many Ontario Liberals who have signed a letter uh, urging Mike to consider this move. In my opinion, this is a, and don't take this the wrong way, but this is a desperate move. I think it could be a good one, but is this a case of desperate times call for desperate measures? I mean, it's no secret. I mean, the Ontario Liberal Party's had two really tough elections in a row. So reimagining what might be possible uh, is needed. But no, I mean, I I see leadership races, um, and I say this as someone who ran one, like it is the opportunity for a party to talk about where we want to go in the future. And, you know, for me, I don't want to just see, you know, a, a small group of people and sort of an, a coronation. I would like to see a bunch of candidates who have a uh, long history in the party. I would also like to see people from the outside who have demonstrated phenomenal leadership in other places, even where that's a bit unexpected. So I view it as being a really healthy, exciting thing that we are so actively talking about the leadership of the Ontario Liberal Party right now. That hasn't happened uh, for a while. So no, to me, it's, it's if anything, it fills me with optimism that people are so engaged in this conversation. Who knows how this all shakes out? You know, uh, I was pleased to see Mike Schreiner's response yesterday that he's going to thoughtfully take some time to think about it, um, which is, you know, exactly, I think, in retrospect, the kind of response that we would expect from him. Um, a really thoughtful, you know, let's listen to people around me, grassroots driven, exactly the reasons why we think that he would be so well suited for this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about seeing how this story unfolds. Nobody knows uh, the outcome yet, but it's great to see so many people engaged in the process. By the way, Green Party leader Mike Schreiner is going to join CHML's Bill Kelly show after the news at 9.30 this morning. So we might get some insight from Mr. Schreiner. We only got about a minute, uh, and you kind of alluded to it. Mike says he's considering this opportunity, which, you know, opposed to shooting it down right away, you must take as a positive development. Yeah, I, again, I think this is a big unprecedented move and it's one that should be made with lots and lots of input from people inside both parties as well as, you know, Ontarians who have something that they want to say about it. So my hope is that over the next bit, um, sounds like Mike is going to focus on doing exactly this, but listening to people about how they would respond to this and what they like to imagine for the future is a really important step. And I'm glad that he's already pushing us to do exactly that. Dr. Graham, thank you for your time today. I'm really intrigued to see how this plays out. 
Me too. Anytime. Thanks so much. That is Dr. Kate Graham, former Ontario Liberal Party leadership candidate, is uh, one of many urging Green Party leader Mike Schreiner to consider running for the Liberal leadership. Again, Mr. Schreiner will join CHML's Bill Kelly after the news at 9.30. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton and District Labor Council is wanting the city of Hamilton to expand its current free or subsidized transit programs. It's launched a Care Fair public transit initiative that endeavors to help riders who face barriers to using transit. The Labor Council's belief is that public transit should ultimately be free transit. However, we understand that there are going to be barriers to trying to move towards that, especially right off the bat. That doesn't mean we, do, we don't believe that there should certainly be um, accessibility and affordability for a lot of groups uh, that are struggling the most right now. I think it's a great idea when you consider the cost of living, where we are right now as a society trying to fight through high inflation. That was the voice of Anthony Marco, president of the Hamilton and District Labor Council. And Mr. Marco joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Anthony, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thanks a lot, Rick. Good to be here. As I said, this is a great idea because as we know that people in this community, many communities, are struggling. This isn't free for all, but free for a growing number of individuals. What are you proposing? Yeah, so right now we're proposing that we've we've identified four groups who are probably the most in need or have the most barriers with regards to affordability and accessibility to transit right now. Um, the four groups that we're talking about are students who are 17 and under um, in a lot of cases, uh, it would, it's great, uh, for some families who have, um, you know, who bring in enough money to be able to, uh, spend bus fare, on, uh, buy bus fare for their kids. Um, but I mean, we know that there's a lot of 17 and younger year olds who oftentimes have to walk, you know, far distances to get to schools in the morning. And, you know, in some of the weather, like the cold weather we have today, we know that that's not an ideal situation. And I know that everybody in my generation and up talks about walking, you know, 10, 10 miles each way in the snow uphill to go to school every day. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not that's not the scenario for a lot of kids today. Sometimes it's just tough getting there on time for 8 a.m. Um, we also are talking about seniors, 60 and over, um, which that's a growing population who already gets subsidized to a certain degree. Uh, but we would like to see that expanded. Uh, anybody who's on ODSP, which is uh, which is disability benefits or Ontario Works, um, with with uh, the city, we think that is a nice stigma-free way to allow them to um, get a, a presto pass, let's say, uh, and and just ride the bus. It could especially come in helpful if they're looking for jobs or if they're uh, they're just getting around the city. And last, anybody with a disability who falls outside of that ODSP um, kind of window, uh, we would like to see them have the ability to participate in our city of Hamilton as much as possible. And sometimes just driving isn't an option. Last week, there was a quick conversation at City Hall, and we extended it here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML about what a free-for-all public transit system would look like in this city. And uh, the the director of transit basically said, hey, we'd be wiping out $47 million in revenue. What would your plan look like financially for this city? Well, so, I mean, we're kickstarting this with the idea that it's not going to roll out within one year. Uh, that, one of the reasons we segmented it is because we would like to see this scaled in and we would like to see it hopefully scaled in in a way that makes the most sense. But I, I do want to put the notion to rest that you have to generate revenue from city services. How much revenue do we generate from sidewalks, right? <laughs> how, yeah. many, how much revenue do we generate from water pipes? 
Um, we don't generate revenue from those things, yet we have to have them in a city. So it's really just a matter of where we place our values. The city already subsidizes the HSR 50%, at least 50% of its operating expenses. So uh, what the cost is going to be, I don't think it's going to be as high as people think, because a lot of the people that we're talking about subsidizing these rides for and giving a care fare to wouldn't be riding the bus anyway because they either can't afford to or accessibility becomes a problem. So it's not like you're losing revenue because you're, you're taking away people who would normally be paying a fare. These are a lot of people who would never be able to either afford to or even think about paying a fare to begin with. So we're just filling empty seats at this point. And I think that the, the idea of, of a revenue um, is not going to be as hard of a hit with these four steps as we're taking. But do I love the idea of going to a, a fare-free public transit for all? I do love that because I think it's really a matter of the values of some Hamiltonians. Think about the idea that, yeah, might you have to pay an extra, say, 100 or a couple hundred bucks on your taxes, but you don't have to buy a second car anymore. Um, and think about some of the savings and think about some of the investment into uh, the environmental changes that we make need to make in the city in terms of public transit, not having the amount of cars on the road and all of those different things. Those are some of the things that we need to think about as investments, not necessarily think about them as losses. I, I'm of the same mind in terms of the free for all, because not only are you, you know, greening the city, so to speak, but you're also opening doors for people who they've been slammed shut for years and offering them free public transit to get to work, to allow them to contribute to the community, to allow them to contribute to the local economy, I think is at the end of the day, sometime down the line, I'm not sure how long, but it's going to pay for itself. And I think that is going to make our city a much better place. Marco, we'll have to, or Anthony, we'll have to leave it there, but um, appreciate your time this morning and best of luck next Monday when you present your pitch to uh, city councilors. Thanks a lot, Rick. Take care. Anthony Marco is the president of the Hamilton and District Labor Council. Uh, yeah, next Monday, he'll be at City Hall making his pitch for this uh, program that would see students 17 and under. Get on the HSR for free. Residents 60 and older do the same. Right now, those, those thresholds are 12 years of age and 65. So lopping off five years on either side, um, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference to the coffers. It will make a huge difference to those individuals who can take advantage of that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, there are literally hundreds of individuals in this province, in this country, on a wait list for an organ transplant, uh, including our next guest. She's a woman from Simcoe who is trying to find a kidney donor. Easier said than done. Christina Meyer is her name and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Christina, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. It sounds like you're at your wit's end. You've gone to social media to say, Please, there's got to be someone out there that has a kidney that matches uh, what I can function with going forward. Um, not at my wit's end necessarily. Um, I'm just um, I'm kind of by, kind of preemptively looking for a kidney. I guess I'm not quite in kidney failure yet, um, but I'm trying to really avoid dialysis. Uh, dialysis is a you know, it's a kind of a has an impact on your quality of life. And I'm just trying to maintain my quality of life, I guess. Um, so I just um, the PKD Foundation of Canada, I put it I kind of watched some summits there. And there was someone who says, have your kidney find you and social media was a way to do it. And I thought, you know, that sounded appealing, you know, to try and put it out there and make awareness too of, of you know, that there is people in needs and living donor especially is a uh, you know, it's a benefit in many ways. So, 
I just decided to do that. <laughs> has uh, has your frustration level grown over the years in, in terms of finding a match and getting a new kidney? Um, no, because like I said, I'm not quite in fin- like kidney failure. Um, so my my EGFR, which is your function of your kidney, is uh, 17. So technically, they won't start uh, testing me for a transplant until I'm at 15. Um, so I'm just, I'm not quite there. Um, it's just, they've been slowly dropping and failing. And with that comes, you know, fatigue and other symptoms. And, you know, you start, um, I mean, generally I feel okay, I suppose, but, um, yeah, so it's just, it's getting to that point where you just have to look at your treatment options. And I would, I would really like a transplant instead in a living donor versus a deceased donor. There's no wait list. It's basically just, you try and find someone who will donate a kidney and, yeah. So, have you been close to getting one? Well, I have my uh, my sister and my husband have kind of started the process. Basically, at this point, it's paperwork, making sure that you know they're they're okay to donate a kidney, their blood type, and so forth. Um, and then when I put it on social media, um, I've had some people step up. Yeah. So I've had so far, I have six people that are potentially willing to test and and then kind of it's you know it's quite the process so it'll take a bit of time I suppose but um yeah so I have six people so far that are willing to potentially donate and, and see if they're a match and so what's that process like are they being poked and prodded is it all kind of paperwork is it a bit of both um well right now it's because it's at the very beginning um it's they just get a lot of health, you know, questionnaire forms and they just, first of all, they find out is there, what's their blood type? Um, you know, what, what is their health generally like? They, you know, a lot of cancer screenings and stuff like that, making sure that, you know, they, they screen very carefully. They want to make sure that obviously that the person who's donating is in, you know, very, very good health. Um, uh, and then, and then they have to wait for me. So once my, EGFR drops to the point where I need to start looking at treatment options such as a transplant, then then I have to do my my portion of the testing and, you know, testing to see what, you know, um, if I'm compatible with the people that are matching. And then and then it kind of goes from there. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Christina Meyer, a Simcoe woman who's uh, looking online for a kidney donor and has some prospects in the pipeline, so to speak. Uh, what is your day-to-day life like dealing with this illness? I would say it's pretty normal. Um, you know, with when COVID hit, I was a massage therapist. I decided to step down from that um, only because I, I'm becoming a little bit more immunocompromised as the kidneys fail and get lower and lower. I I can potentially get very sick. Um, so I just, I just kind of, I've dropped that for now. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's just, I just go about my life though. Uh, there's a bit of fatigue and, you know, sometimes pain, but generally I feel okay. And, you know, I just want to maintain my quality of life, I suppose. And that's why it's really important because once I, um, if I have to start trans or dialysis, sorry, um, then you know, then there's not only am I hooked up to a machine to to keep me alive, basically, three days a week, but then travel like my my nephrologist is in London. So then I have to worry about uh, commutes, and so forth. And uh, so yeah, it's just uh, yeah, sorry, my, my phone went off there. For a second. <laughs> no, it's not ideal. Uh, case in point. <laughs> oh, we, we only got about 30 seconds. How close are you to that potential reality? Um, I think I'm getting closer. It's hard to say. The EGFR, your function fluctuates a little bit. 
So four months ago, my EGFR was at 20. Now it's uh, at 17. So it could fluctuate. Once I get to about 15, then they really start to look at treatments. And so, I mean, I'm dropping it by about six per annually. So, I mean, it's hard. I, it's, I mean, nobody knows for sure, but I would, I would say I'm pretty close a, a year, maybe out well, before I have to, before I'm either on a machine or hopefully to set up for a transplant kind of thing. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Hopefully that uh, donor match can be found very quickly and uh, you're off to bigger and better things. We can find you on social media and maybe there's a, a donor out there that will uh, uh, complete the link. Christina, thanks for your time. Best of luck down the road. Yes, thank you very much for having me. You can also go online to beadonor.ca. According to the Trillium Gift of Life Network, there's over a thousand people in this province just waiting for a kidney transplant. And across the country, that number tops 3,000. And sadly, more than 100 people in 2021 died while waiting for a transplant. Go to beadonor.ca, do some research, and uh, hopefully you can be a donor match for someone. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This community has an abundance of incredible women. And they have been honored year in and year out by the YWCA Hamilton. And this year is no different. It's announced it's Women of Distinction nominees for 2023. And the list is a lengthy one, and rightfully so, because there are some incredible women on this list. Emma Riley McKay, an incredible woman herself, is with the YWCA Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Emma, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm fantastic. Um, I, I was just looking at the list of nominees and, you know, the 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 phrase, the hits keep on coming because there's so many incredible women on this list. How does this list even get compiled? Um, yes. Well, we have people in the community in Hamilton and Halton who nominate. So all of the nominees are people doing incredible work and are being recognized by their peers, their colleagues, in some cases, their partners. It's really a, a grassroots movement. And uh, we really encourage nominations from all different industries, walks of life, experiences, backgrounds. So we're, we're so proud that it's such a diverse group of really exceptional women and girls, as it always is, as you pointed out. Is there a specific criteria? Um, you have to live or do your work in Hamilton and Halton. Um, but other than that, uh, there are, you know, there's some minor nomination criteria, but really it's just about doing exceptional work. Um, this year we actually changed our awards so that we only have one pool of nominees. So in the past we had different categories, but this year it's one big group. And the reason we did this was to highlight the individual experiences of each nominee um, and talk about their sort of unique journey and impact instead of kind of boxing them into one specific category. Um, I, I would assume that not everyone wins an award. Is that how it works? <laughs> yes. So we will have five awards coming from that one pool. Um, we also will award two special awards. So we will have a, a Lifetime Achievement Award winner, which will be given to a nominee who is 55 years and above. And we have a Young Trailblazer, uh, which will be given to somebody who is 25 years old and below. Um, so they will come from that pool of nominees as well. So there will be seven awards from that pool of 65 nominees. And then we also have an Honorary Woman of Distinction Award, which will be given to a woman who has been impacted by one of our YWCA programs. 
So what is the discussion like? Because there's so many, as I said, unbelievable candidates and nominees for the 2023 Women of Distinction Awards. How do you whittle it down to five winners? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a job for our judges. We have a panel of judges who go through all of the nominees and who uh, grade them um, on a system. And we uh, have our, our results audited. And then that's who ends up uh, winning. So uh, we really appreciate our judges for the really hard work that they do in sort of um, and, and highlighting uh, five, seven of these women, because it's, as you point out, every one of them is really deserving of this award. I don't envy the judges at all, but I will say this, there's no wrong answers here. There's so many awesome women on this list. There certainly are. And they're, they're very, very diverse. You know, we have teachers, athletes, researchers, healthcare workers, advocates. Like it is such a wide range of experiences and it's really, really incredible to look through our nominees, um, which you can find at ywcahamilton.org slash WOD, W-O-D, and read about their experiences and read about the work that they're doing. It's, it's very inspiring. We're talking about the Women of Distinction nominees for 2023 from the YWCA with Emma Riley McKay, who is uh, one of the uh, main people in charge of organizing this event and putting on what is going to be a spectacular gala, which happens in March. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so we're very excited because this is actually our first in-person gala since 2019. We were actually one of the last events in Hamilton in March 2019 before everything shut down in COVID, our Women of Distinction Awards um, at that time. So for the past few years, we've done a virtual gala. This year, we're back in person, which is extremely exciting. So we will be at the Hamilton Convention Center by Carmen on March 2nd. There's a cocktail reception, a dinner, and then, of course, our awards. So um, tickets for this event are $150, which includes our award ceremony and the dinner and the cocktail reception, as I described. And then you can also purchase a table for 10 for $1,500 or get very fancy with a VIP table for $5,000, which comes with sort of special extra perks. Apart from, uh, you know, really putting these women on a pedestal, it's really a great initiative in getting other women engaged in becoming community leaders. And that's a big part of what this event is, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's also about role modeling and sort of showing the different ways that you can impact the community. And when you are a woman or a girl and you have somebody in the community who is doing work that you may not have thought of yourself or that you um, might be interested in, it's seeing it in person and watching it in action is, is so incredible. And also just, you know, having that community of women um, to lift each other up and inspire each other is, incredibly meaningful because it's very important that women support each other, that women, you know, lift each other up, shine a light on each other's achievements and really, you know, improve the community for the better. Really looking forward to the YWCA Hamilton Women of Distinction uh, Gala on uh, March the 2nd at uh, the Hamilton Convention Center by Carmen's. More information and tickets online, ywcahamilton.org forward slash W-O-D. Emma, thanks for doing this. Congratulations on getting this far and looking forward to the gala, as I said, uh, later on in about a month. Thank you so much, Rick. That's Emma Riley McKay, Strategic communication Specialist with YWCA Hamilton. And um, yeah, as I said, th- uh, what an unbelievable list of women on this list. 
Um, I'll just read a few names. I can't get to all 65, but just a few names that kind of come to mind. Uh, it starts with Alex Coombs, and I think this goes in alphabetical order by first name. Um, Jerry Benson, up for a Lifetime Achievements Award. Janice Shearer, the same. Yelena Vermillion has been on the show before. Um, Kamisha Walters. Marla Frank Davis. Uh, Michelle Hode. Paula Monaco. Samantha Mercanti. Uh, lots more on the list. Victoria Mancinelli. A lot of amazing women in this community, and they'll all be congratulated uh, for their efforts coming up on March the 2nd. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. New research out from employment agency Robert Half shows that despite market conditions and all those concerns about a recession, more than half of companies in this country plan to hire this year. Michael French is the National Director at Robert Half and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Michael, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. The uh, the State of Canadian Hiring Survey is what it's called. You hired or you uh, uh, surveyed about 1,500 managers, and 51% of them say that they're expecting to add to their payrolls in the first half of this year, and that's up from 40% six months ago. Were you surprised when you saw that 51% figure? I really was surprised. You know what? The, the job market has been strong for the number of last quarters, but with all the news we're hearing with interest rates and hearing sort of some doom and gloom out there, I was expecting it to be a little bit softer, but surprisingly, over half the managers said they're adding net new positions in the first half of the year. That's much higher than we've seen recently. The, yeah, that's a pretty astonishing number, but uh, the flip side to it is, the uh, research is showing that good people are hard to find these days. Good people are very hard to find. You know, and, and we only survey the professional markets, so accountants, um, uh, media relations, advertising, lawyers, tech, um, and admin support, um, EAs. So this is the professional market. But really, it is exceptionally hard to find. As we're, as, as we're talking to clients, they're saying it's taking them over 13 weeks to hire now compared to only eight weeks six months ago. That's substantially increased. Now, one of the factors in that, which I found interesting, is that employers conducted about four interviews with a candidate before they actually presented a job offer. Is this a case of managers not wanting to get this decision wrong? I think it's a few things. I think as we, as we went into Q4 last year, we were hearing, feeling some headwinds, hearing some news. They're meeting, they're meeting candidates four times, which is actually higher than we've seen recently. I think even though there is a real, real war for talent, the demand for talent's very high, I think many times clients want, companies want to make sure that they've really found the right person. They want to make sure they're making a right decision. And they want, to, they want to avoid any sort of negative follow that may come from, from uh, a misstep. But that's what's adding to that, uh, to that 13, 14 weeks. Yeah, that, that four interviews for me, if I'm a job seeker and I'm being called back to the interview room, whether it's virtually or, or physically in, in an office, you know, for a third and a fourth time, I'm, my mindset is, hey, make a decision already. Oh, you're right. You know, the job market's hot. Yeah, these professionals are getting multiple offers. But you also mentioned virtual. So you think of the old way we'd, uh, we would get dressed every morning, jump in our car or the, or the transit, get to the interview's office. And now we're finding, though, virtually, it's much easier to have a, a short 
20-minute interview. So maybe the virtual is actually thrown in there one extra one, but we are seeing it take longer. I do want to give our listeners something to take home too. And we're in discussion with Michael French, National Director at Robert Half, talking about new research from the employment agency that shows that despite all the doom and gloom, uh, more than half of Canadian companies plan to hire this year, which is great news. But for our listeners, what are those jobs that they should be seeking out? What are some of the hottest jobs, highest jobs in demand this year? Oh, you know what? There's a lot. So finance managers, cost accountants, um, general accountants, if you're in banking or risk, compliance, anti-money laundering, auditors. If you're in technology, anything around security, network architects, database administrators, uh, programmers. uh, We're on the radio now, so anything in sort of media relations, public relations, marketing, lawyers are hot, legal uh, secretaries, uh, paralegals, and then always a really good EA. EAs are very, very hard to find. That's a, that's a big pool of uh, potential jobs. Um, best way to search for a job, is it still going online? You know what? Online is one of the tools. So we're telling people right now, if you're really looking for a role, you want to reflect on what you're looking for. Figure out what it is that you're trying to achieve. Is it you're looking for work-life balance? Are you looking for more money? And figure out what you want. And then make sure you're acting with urgency. So make sure your LinkedIn and your resume all sort of match. And then network. Network yourself. Let people know that you are looking. Share with your neighbors, your family, that you are open for a change. And then from there, connect with as many people as you can. Build relationships, share information, and ask for referrals. It's uh, it's shocking out there. If every second company is hiring, then uh, we all know someone who's trying to hire somebody. So Please share the information. Help your friend get a job. Those are great tips. Michael, thanks for the time today, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks for having me on. That is Michael French, National Director, Robert Half Employment Agency, that has researched and has found out that uh, more than half of Canadian companies plan to hire this year. Other tips and top traits that managers are looking for if you're going for a job interview. Number one on the list, timeliness and professionalism during interviews. That. That's an understatement. Number two, knowledge of the company. Do your research. And number three, passion for the company's mission. When you're doing that research, hey, if you buy into the mission, you might have a leg up on the competition. So there you go. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. What kind of vehicle do you drive? Is it a a car, a sedan, SUV, van, truck? Maybe it's a big rig. (laughs) If you drive a certain model, you may be more likely to end up with a speeding ticket. This is true. This is is a scientific analysis. Well, uh, at least it's according to insurance rate company MyChoice, which combed through its database of more than 100,000 insurance quotes. And the company came up with its top 10 list of vehicles that were pulled over for speeding. And so when I look back at my vehicle history, first car was a 1989 Ford Mustang, 2.3 liter hatchback, gray on red. Uh, Vehicle number two was a red Pontiac Grand Am. Uh, 1993 was the year. Nice vehicle, service for a while. Uh, Then I had back-to-back Honda Civics in 2008 and 2012, and the last couple leases I've had uh, have been Honda CRVs. So we're in the SUV world. Kids are bigger, and we need a little bit more room. It works for us. But I've had Honda Civic. Great, great vehicle. 
In fact, the top-selling car in Canada for 24 years in a row. There is a downside, though, apparently, according to insurance rate company My Choice, because it is the vehicle that has been pulled over more than any other vehicle in this province last year. Number one on the list, 9.6% of total speeding tickets in 2022 in this province involved a Honda Civic. So if you're driving around right now in a Honda Civic, and there's many of you out there, you might just want to ease up on the gas pedal. I don't know what it is. I don't think the coppers are out looking for Civics. They just happen to be speedy little vehicles. Great, great vehicle. Uh, According to this list, eight of the 10 vehicles that received the most speeding tickets in this province last year were sedans, which is, you know, not not very surprising at all. Perhaps uh, somewhat surprising was there was one pickup truck on this list. But really surprising, there was a minivan on this list. Yes, in 2022, one of the top speeding vehicles in this province was a minivan. Let's get to the list. Number 10. Again, this is the list of the most speeding tickets given to drivers of these vehicles. Number 10, the BMW 328i. You know, not surprising at all. You know, it's a sporty car. You can whiz around the neighborhood, maybe on the highway. BMW 328i, number 10 on the list. Number 9 on the list, a great family vehicle, Volkswagen Jetta. It's got some oomph to it, no doubt about it. Number eight on the list, a Honda Accord. It is the, I guess, the uncle to the Civic, or maybe the father of the Civic. It is, you know, one level up in the world of Honda car owners. Seventh on the list, and here's where it gets interesting, the Dodge Caravan. (laughs) Are these the soccer moms rushing to soccer practice with their two or three kids all uniformed up and ready to go? Dodge Caravan, 1.6% of total speeding tickets in 2022 in Ontario, given to drivers of the Dodge Caravan. I would have never guessed a van would have been on this list. Number six, with 2.1% of total speeding tickets in the province, the Dodge Ram. Maybe these are those contractors that are speeding to pick up their checks from customers. That could be the case. Uh, Five on the list, and it's all sedans from here on in, five is the Hyundai Sonata. The Toyota Corolla, main competitor with the Honda Civic, is fourth on the list. The Mazda 3, all in that competition bracket as well, is third on the list with 3.5% of the total speeding tickets in this province, given to drivers of that vehicle. And the Hyundai Elantra, second on the on the list, 4.9% of the vehicles in this province ticketed last year for speeding were driving a Hyundai Elantra. And again, the Honda Civic, by far and away, number one at 9.6%. When you think of a Civic, though, not not exactly a car known for its punch in the passing lane, right? It's, again, the best-selling car in Canada for 24 straight years. But, you know, you think Honda Civic, you're not thinking speed. You're not saying ka-chow or anything of that effect. That is for sure. The much different story in the United States where you go down the list and the Honda Civic is not even in the top five. Of vehicles pulled over for speeding. Five in the States is the Audi S4. Okay, here, this makes sense. The sporty vehicle, it's got some punch. 349 horsepower in this vehicle. Uh, a whopping 20.8% 
of whom have a speeding ticket on record. So if you own a an Audi S4 in the States, you've probably, one in five, have received a speeding ticket on average. Fourth on the list in the great old U.S. of A. is the Saab 9.3. Interesting. I haven't seen many Saab vehicles on the roads these days, but apparently they're still around. Third on the list in the U.S. for most speeding tickets handed out in 2022, and again, this makes total sense, the Volkswagen Golf GTI. Again, a vehicle that can get around town pretty quickly. Second on the list is the Infiniti G37. All right, again, makes total sense. Sporty, speedy vehicle. Number one on the list for the most speeding tickets handed out to drivers, and this is in the U.S. in 2022, is the Scion FRS, where a bunch of drivers are getting tickets here, there, and everywhere, it seems. And again, this is a sporty vehicle. I would say much more sportier than the Honda Civic. Very reliable. Number one in Canada for 24 years in a row. But I, I think the American list makes a lot more sense than the, than the Ontario one. Especially when you're throwing the Dodge Caravan in there. But again, those soccer moms, hey, if it's practice time, we've got to get the youngins learning how to kick the soccer ball. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.